Hello, welcome to Solomon's Temple. Forgive me, I'm a little bit under the weather, so I might be sounding a little bit like Piglet or something from Winnie the Pooh. I just wanted to go over a few philosophical questions posed on a forum selected randomly by anonymous people. Some of them might be better questions than others. I'm not really rating their philosophical merits. Uh, I just want to try to keep it more on the generalizable side. It may be, I may use a little bit of technicality. I might get a little bit deep or a little bit technical in my wording. Hopefully I won't have to go there, but I'll try to answer it in a simple way if uh, complexity and dealing with these questions haven't really come to mind for some of you. Maybe they have. I'll try to offer something for as many people as I can. That's what I've always tried to do with this podcast. So we'll just start off with this one. The question is, can anything exist outside the mind? Well, the way I would answer this is the question's not framed very well. It presupposes that there's only things that can exist in, quote, whatever your mind is, and that can anything else exist outside of it, as if existence doesn't happen outside your mind. Now, what is the mind? The mind, for me, is not only the organization and relationship of all physical properties, whether it's in your brain or not, it's just everywhere. There's all sorts of things like that that are just going on. And there's intelligence with that. So our mind, the sensation, the way I, I see it is it's the sensation inside of your head that tells you what's going on outside. So how, whatever's going on outside is how you feel inside your head. And you could access your mind to get you to feel different ways about what's happening outside. So would anything exist outside of your mind? Well, it wouldn't come to mind. Therefore, it wouldn't be apparent to you. It doesn't mean that it doesn't exist outside of it. And it doesn't mean that some things are mind dependent and that their existence is predicated on the capacity of your mind really, or it's just a mental construct and it exists within your mind as an illusory state. And this is highly debated. I'm sure there's a lot of illusory notions. You know how there's kind of like, you feel like you get close, you know, nothing ever touches in physics. And it's almost as if um, you never fully apprehend and come down with both feet on anything in your mind. It's always a sensation of I'm getting closer. You always feel like you're getting uh, closer to people relationship wise. It could even be I'm getting closer to the truth or I can feel, feel like we feel our way into existence. Existence reports a sort of sensation. There's a sensation to being alive. And this nuanced dance of feeling and sensations can change, but really it's uh, available to everybody. Everyone's a thinking, feeling thing. It doesn't mean we think and feel the same way, but that does not mean that we're not. That in, in essence, that we do think and feel the same way. It's just whether or not your mind is apprehending it. Different realities, we claim that no, that's not true or that's not real because it's not within our own mind. It's not beheld within our own mental sight, but it doesn't mean it isn't there. It's just the fact that it's more of a humbling technique. It's the fact that you don't know about it or you haven't felt the nuanced perspective or perception on that reality, that it really does exist. So yeah, things really do exist outside of your mental framework and the existence of things aren't predicated on the fact that your mentation's able to apprehend it, if that makes sense. So there's another question. If we can keep someone who has no brain activity on life support, does this prove there is a soul? Well, what is a soul? You have to define a soul first, so I don't really know how to go into about answering that. But if a soul means a life essence without brain activity, then I guess that's a soul, but that's not how I see what a soul would be. I don't even know what a soul actually is supposed to be. Maybe it's like an extra body you can't see, but that's still a part of your body. 
no brain activity on life support. Does this prove there is a soul? Well, I mean, it could prove other things like um, electricity is a very real thing. And if you don't have brain activity and you're on life support, then it's just by artificial means, you know, we're able to keep bodies alive. So I don't really know what that's supposed to mean. It's kind of a bad question. I mean, you can think about it if you want. If we can keep someone who has no brain activity on life support, does this prove there is a soul? I don't think it proves anything besides technology does a good job of keeping people alive. This one, fellow determinists, if we don't have free will, then does the universe have free will or is it bound to its own rules? Well, I've always thought that everything is predetermined, but we do have a, a decision to make on things. There's still an ability to discern and choose between, between things, but that doesn't mean that there's not some predetermination for folks. That doesn't mean there's not a will either. I think it's kind of both. The universe acts not freely. No, it's, it's bound to its own rules. It's just when um, I think um, when we when we create activity and have a, a sort of will um, and we associate with the world freely, we don't like to be controlled by other wills. People like to make up their own minds and stuff. So of course they're going to want to make choices based on their own freedom to will what they what they want it's based on desire. Maybe to desire what they will and then and choose that freely. But in essence, it doesn't follow that there's a predetermination for all that and that really a, a destiny. As it unfolds, as things happen, there's no other way that it can happen, that it just happens the way it does because that's just how the will of the universe is working. can't really control that necessarily, the outcomes. Even though we would like our will to be done in one way, doesn't mean that wills aren't done in another. So yeah, I'd say everything that happens just happens solely because that's what it's was supposed to happen all along. There's no stopping it. Generatively, you just can't get over the fact that you can't do anything about that. <laughs> this one says, what do you call someone that believes that the universe is an equation? Well, I, I'd call that person obsessed with equations or obsessed with um, the human uh, preoccupation with numbers and rules in order to describe what's happening within their mind and, and the world? I have no idea. That's What is the American dream? Is it any different than any other country? <laughs> That's interesting. There's an American dream, labeled American, as in only Americans have this. What would be the American dream? I think it's a pre-prescribed uh, economic situation. You know, learn a skill or a craft, get to work, work hard, you know, make money, buy a house, just do what's, you know, just do this prescribed thing, you know, contribute and fulfill yourself in some way. Have a wife that loves you, have kids. Just, I don't even know. What is the American dream exactly? To live without perturbation, have plenty of money and things and food's not an issue and you can have fun whenever you want, practically. i just free of just any perturbations. Having power, I think power and freedom have a relationship. What is the American dream? I know George Carlin said something like, the American dream, it's called the American dream because you got to be asleep to believe it. As, as in like, you're not, a, not awake. You're never going to find that American dream. Essentially that like, I don't know, maybe the forces that be have you by the balls or the government does or you're, we're being lied to or it's a predetermined economic or like social philosophy that's supposed to guide you into true happiness, but maybe it just does not. I love George Carlin. The knowledge that does not change behavior is useless. 
Do you agree? I guess so. Yeah, I mean, we are in large part what we employ, whether through attitude or through action, you know, it's does this knowledge, you know, really change you or change your intentions and the way you think and speak and act towards others or in your own life? Does it change the way you feel about things or would it change your outcome? In any way. Yeah, I mean, sure, I guess so. Let's see who else has a question. Who came first, the chicken or the egg? Well, I'm, I'm guessing just some sort of a, a reproductive thing and then it mutated into two where one was dependent on doing it to another. So maybe simultaneously, maybe that's the wrong way to frame that age old question. I don't think that's that profound, honestly. Probably both at the same time, and then maybe like something like an, a self hatching egg was first and then both happened order to imply each other so the chicken maybe came later but they emerged and then the chicken and the egg kind of started doing their thing simultaneously somehow i'm not sure i'm not really sure how the evolutionary paradigm would work there i think maybe there's just a form that ended up like splitting and then it would depend on like doing something to another form and then and then it was implied that the form that would encroach on the other form to reproduce they became a, a dual thing where they would reproduce with each other and the other thing just died off because it was implied in the other thing and then became a sexist type of thing or like i don't i don't know i don't know i have no idea would eternal life be a curse or a blessing well i would imagine if you have the faculty of boredom that eternal life might not be the most optimal thing in existence and maybe you would want it to end maybe every beginning requires an end that's how i see existence i wouldn't think of life as having any definition if there was no end to it that there would need to be a sort of fulfillment of your, your procession as you go along, that there is a beginning and then there will be an end. But it doesn't mean there's like this eternal cycling that goes on, but it's just your moment in time has a timer on it. And here you are, like you don't have a choice, like you're here doing this one, you're embodying this this being right now. If you have a beginning, the, t the ticker's ticking, you will have an end. And that kind of gives the, uh, not urgency, but like the definition of your life. Like, okay, I need to live this life because this is all I have. I exist with the purpose of being here because I won't be here forever. And that's what makes you kind of value it um, and cherish it while it's here. Otherwise, you just take it for granted as unlimited. Now, if you had like this eternal, like everything's great, but it wouldn't make sense because in order for everything to be great, you'd have to know what suffering is too. So you would lose sight of suffering, then you wouldn't really know what's great. So how could there be eternal life? So I think it'd be more of a curse. I think the blessing is the fact that life, in some sense, is very vast and eternal to begin with, just physically. And and um, it's better to be like much finite in your own mode. So the fact that life is kind of goes on and on is a blessing, but to have your an eternal life within the life that you have would be a curse. So that's a nuanced question. Let's see. How does one philosophize? Just read what other people have thought. Have your own thoughts. Go through experience. How do you philosophize? You just uh, you apply your mind and observe reality and gain knowledge. And really, it just kind of happens of itself. Okay, for you, what is the nature of reality? Well, I don't really understand nature too well or reality or what it is because that's the philosophical problem what are things exactly i'd say the nature of reality is sort of a cycle of causes that imply a sort of prompting to be what it is 
is like a pole that shapes one end to the other of different realities from every aspect. There's sort of like a, a balancing out of everything that exists. There's one thing for another thing. And I guess it's there to sort of transcend and shed itself and really just to become aware of what it is. I guess there's sort of like a questing after an unfolding of who you are. And then there's a procession of beginning and end, maybe even like in a narrative style, an imagination of ourselves. The nature of it is very unclear, but we sort of sense and perceive it and we just realize the best we can through the nature of reality. I guess just an employment of all our faculties and the realization of who we are collectively per individual. And there's a sort of a, a balanced nature to every aspect in existence. Isness somethingness whatever i don't know and this guy says in a lawless world would people still have morals yeah yeah you you're, you self you'd self-determine it's not the state doesn't imbue you with the with the uh, identity of having morals or anything you do everyone does why does truth matter well there's all all different kinds of people that can give you the wrong information presented as truth and then it unfolds very badly to bear false witness on somebody is unjust and hurtful and, and to lie is to conceal your own um, due karma and be yeah it just always turns out bad if you're not truthful all right where's a good one do you consider yourself wise yes why if no why well it depends i do if i'm in certain circles i don't if i'm in other circles generally am i wise i'd say i have a lot of vision i wouldn't say i'm super duper wise i'd say spiritually i'm not hyper ascended i'm not mentally stable um i'm not experientially i'm not experientially accomplished i guess i'm young i'd say for my age sure i guess you could consider me wise i'm probably a lot more wise in in many aspects for a certain amount of people in certain aspects it's really hard to to come to a conclusion on that one but overall in the United States of America in this culture for my age. Yeah, I'd say I'm resoundingly pretty wise for that demographic. This one says, why should those who can no longer contribute to society live? Wouldn't us choosing to live and being allowed to live be in violation of social contract and of the most basic morals, all of which dictate that we do not just live for ourselves, but for each other first? Well, that's a slippery slope because we wouldn't get rid of uh, the weak or mentally ill or drug addicts or the old just people who can't work anymore because they're old or they you know or they're retired it's like i don't know you wouldn't you wouldn't just get rid of people because they're physically unable to do work or their time to work is over because they're retired or maybe if they don't have money it's like well now we have social security or something else is paying for them or that you can't contribute that somehow you're devalued now or maybe you retain your value some way in some way but how are you supposed to dictate the the valuation of someone's life in terms of everything that they have sown or anything that they have contributed and who exactly should should dictate that the valuation of one's life because you could have people that can't really help themselves and really it's it's the service of people who aren't contribute the service to people that aren't contributing that sometimes is is necessary that should be a more necessary part of society and to just have a standing reservation and allowance for people like that and for especially the elderly who have already lived their life and contributed enough it's almost like that isn't enough for them we're always seeking more from people the employers are seeking more from their employees and it's not the other way around i think that's kind of more of a, a dominance issue or a positionship itch issue within the society 
to value this uh, inexhaustible resource of contribute, you know, like push, push, push. That's kind of how I see that. But of course, then again, you it becomes a real liability if literally half the entire world or culture at large is not doing anything to contribute to a quality of life or quality of surviving at its most basic. Like you're certainly going to have trouble. But yeah, there's a very delicate balance of measuring all that. I don't have all access to the books. Yeah, I think it was it was due uh, for a Q&A like this. We could cover like many topics and I could just kind of give my view on it or whatever. Hopefully that that, that view uh, counts as quite cogent or valuable and that we could take away a lot from a lot of topics within just one sitting. So that's it for that one. If you want, go to patreon.com forward slash Solomon's Temple. A modest donation would be much appreciated. I'll see you next time. Bye-bye.